out of Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. I told Denise this week as I was getting ready, I said, oh, man, it's another one of those challenging texts from Jesus. And she said, really? What is it? So I shared it with her. She said, oh, that is. <laughs> so here we go, all right? Luke 17, 5 to 10. Jesus has been in, in, in chapter 14, uh, 15, and 16. As near as we can tell, he was at, at a Sabbath gathering, a, sh a Shabbat festival. But now he's moving along with his friends. Now, these disciples have heard him sharing some very, very challenging things. Take up your cross. Forgive. Um, the, the reality that the, uh, of what God's heart looks like, that what you revered in the eyes of men, power, wealth, and strength. God says, uh, you know, I've got a whole different uh, reality in this kingdom to the point that religious leaders were scoffing at him. And so now, the, you know, his followers are saying, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't think I really understand this, this thing that you're calling the kingdom of God. I understand what, what I've heard religiously, but they are struggling with it. And he just got done talking about this whole thing of forgiveness. And he says, uh, by the way, it isn't just a one-off thing. It's a reality that you live in. That's what that whole point of that first few verses in chapter 17 is. So I'm going to read... Uh, verses 5 through 10 out of the voice translation. You guys know that that's one of my favorites. Uh, the reason I like it is just because it's fresh. Uh, they use uh, uh, artists and playwrights as voices while, as well as theological experts when they translated this translation a number of years ago. But it begins this way in verse 5. The Lord's emissaries, the disciples, ask this question. Or, I'm sorry, they make this proclamation. Verse 5. We don't have enough. By the way, that's the title I gave the message this morning. We don't have enough faith for this. Help our faith grow. Jesus, pointing to a nearby mulberry tree. It's not like you need a huge amount of faith. If you just had faith the size of a single tiny mustard seed, you could say to this huge tree, pull up your roots and replant yourself in the seed. And it would fly through the sky and do what you said, so even a little faith can accomplish the seemingly impossible. Imagine this scenario. You have a servant, say he's been out plowing a field and taking care of the sheep, and he comes in hot and sweaty from his work. Are you going to say, you poor thing, come sit down right away? Of course not. Wouldn't you be more likely to say, first cook my supper, set the table, and then after you've eaten, you can get something to eat and drink for yourself. After your servant has done everything you told him to do, are you going to make a big deal out of it and thank him? I don't think so. Now, apply this situation to yourselves. When you've done everything I'm telling you to do, just say, we're servants, unworthy of extra consideration or thanks. We're just doing our duty. Again, the title I've the message is, we do not have enough, or we don't have enough. I was thinking about this and where I was going to kind of be going in this um, message this morning, and, and there were two stories that came to my mind, so I, I, I kind of began by saying this, you know, some of my most significant conversations have happened on a boat. Um, June the 21st, 1983. Do you remember where you were, Denise? Okay. 
I was standing on the deck of the stationary Queen Mary. Do you remember where you were, Denise? Uh, it was classified at that point, and I think still to this day, as a floating hotel. And my girlfriend and I were there, and, you know, the sun is setting, and it was beautiful, and I'm admiring the Long Beach Bay, and, you know, it was a really gorgeous moment. I'm thinking, wow, you know, oh, it's a winter moment. Uh, my girlfriend had come out to visit me in California while I was doing an internship there in, in Los Angeles, and, you know, we'd gotten away for a little bit of time there, and we're having just a really great moment. Now, you know, this is a moment to soak in and seize that moment. And so um, my girlfriend, who had a pretty good sense of intuition, as well as where our relationship was heading, asked me in her very subtle way, are you going to ask me to marry you? I said, 80. oh, oh, it was 82. See, in her subtle way. It, it was 1982. I can't believe I wrote that in my notes. It was 82. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> well done, son. Well done. Well done. Well done. I had a head injury once. Anyway, anyway, that's my great comeback now. Okay, so she asked me this question. Are you going to ask me to marry you? And so by this point, you know, I'm like, I am, No. No, we're not doing this. And, you know, because the next day is my birthday. And so I, you know, she's, by the way, it was July. Wow. July 22nd is my birthday. So it's July 21, 1982. Anybody taking specific notes? Okay. There we are. Um, so she said, are you going to ask me to marry? She, it's my birthday the next day. So she's like, sees this train coming. And offended at her bluntness. Uh, I, you know, I, I was trying to, you know, dodge this question, and I deflected here or there, you know, and, and, and I said, Mike, what difference does it make? And, she, and I said, so, you know, why are you asking? She said, just don't ask me that question. So, so now I'm upset. I'm like, why? Well, you didn't ask my dad. I said, so... Just, just don't ask me. Just, just don't ask me. So uh, I decided, Johnny, bar the doors. This is the day. It's either going to show up or not. The next day, I did ask, and thankfully, she did say yes. Now, here's the reality that I have learned after 40-some years of being around this beautiful brown-eyed girl. See, for me... All I could see was this gorgeous, brown-eyed girl that I wanted to be my wife. And I'm thinking, you know, are we, are we doing this or not? Right? Just say yes or no. Now, for Denise, and, and for me, I was all caught up in the moment. And as you can well see, I had the date and the time all figured out. July 21st, 1980. Anyway, um, she was seeing a little bit farther ahead a little bit farther down the road, and the question for her wasn't that she didn't want to be around me, which is, you know, what my first offended kind of response was. Her response was about what she knew would probably be in front of her. Do I really want to marry a pastor, specifically? And all that that meant. Uh, interestingly, Four years later, somewhere around there, 
Hi, Mom. I have my mother-in-law in the room, too. We were actually on a cruise. And uh, it was our first time that we'd ever been on a cruise. And so we're with Denise's folks and uh, with the gal who's kind of like my foster mom. So they were all sharing this trip together. And again, standing on a deck, sharing a moment, and somebody else asked a direct question. It wasn't my wife this time. It was my father-in-law. I wonder where she learned it from. Anyway, he turned to me and said something like this. What are you so scared of about starting a family? I'm like, once again, I'm in this deflecting, defensive posture, trying to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just let me, whatever it was that came out of my head, he let it come out of my head. And he said a couple things, and I said some more. And then finally, after he thought, you know, he let all, uh, my son-in-law has let all the air out of his balloon. It's just true. He turned and said something like this. Now, I don't, this isn't exactly it, but he said something like this. Bud, I know that you're worried about your health challenges. Specifically, I know that you're worried that you may not be around for your kids. He was right. I had a lot of chronic health challenges. But he said, listen to me, man. There are no guarantees. And we have to trust the Lord that he'll give us what we need. And by the way, I think you'll be great parents. That was a powerful moment. Because curiously, in both of those exchanges, they were, they were really based in this question, enough. Specifically, Am I going to be enough? You know, for Denise, it was, will I be enough for the demands? And do I really want to, like, go here? I, I, am I enough for all the demands that I see happening? She had an uncle that was a pastor and his wife and saw a lot of stuff. For me, I was wondering not just about the challenges of parenting, but to be quite frank, I, I honestly, if you'd have met me at 25, you'd have thought I was a morbid kind of guy. You see... My, my mother uh, got sick when I was like 12 years old, and I uh, said goodbye to her when I was 18. And so I just sort of had this really morbid view about life, like if I make it to 30, great. That's the truth. And so it was really a powerful and kind of prophetic word that my father-in-law spoke over me. Ben, this is about trust. Oh. See, the truth of our relationship as husband and wife and then in, in ministry and as parents, let me just go on record. I have my son here. He'll testify to it. It's never been about enough. Did we have enough money? No. Time? It's always been a challenge. Wisdom? I'm still trying to get it. Understanding? See, my point is that I'm not sure there's ever been a time that we sat down and said, yep, we've got enough. Would that be true, hon? Right? Okay. Um, it, it's, it's almost always felt like we've lacked currency. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about just dollars. You know what I mean? The energy, time, finances, wisdom, emotional 
you know, times that we just felt like we're barely getting through. The, the, the truth is, or even right now after almost 40 years, I feel like I know less than I ever did. So the real currency of nearly 40 years of being together in relationship and 39 of them and a half being married together and of ministry, of marriage, of parenting, the real currency, love, forgiveness, trust, grace, mercy in real time. Like actually looking at one another and living in it. And I want to submit something to us this morning. I know that Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen, right? And we get, you know, we like, sometimes, for years, man, I'm like, how do I get the substance of things hoped for? Can I just offer a definition of faith that I believe parallels with that, but it has a little bit more teeth to it, a little bit better grip? It's love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, trust in real time. The choice to live in forgiveness and trust and mercy and grace with one another and with God. If I could give you guys a dollar for every time I've heard, no, wait, if you could give me, what am I doing? Give me the dollars. <laughs> now, you know, all the times I've had people say, I mean, just the other night, I just, I just heard this again the other night, you know, wow, you have how many kids? I could never do that. I could barely manage the two I have. I remember that. We barely managed the two that we had. See, the truth is, I didn't become a parent because I was confident I could do this well. The truth is, that was a powerful statement to me from my father-in-law. And then my own father, who said, I've always lived this by faith. We didn't wake up and go, hey, honey, what do you think? Nine? Sound like a good number? Great. Truth be told, that conversation that happened you know, when with my father-in-law, I'd already been having conversations with my own parents saying, well, we're kind of thinking probably none. And that was after nearly five years of being married together. See, here's what I'm going to say. I got the date right here on page two, honey. What started in 1982 was a simple yes to love and to trust. And I, I want to say this, it is exactly how we're trying to navigate the challenges and the obstacles that face us right now. I thought when you got done with diapers, it was going to be awesome. It really was. But I'm telling you, man, parenting adult children, you lay awake. <laughs> See? It's fascinating how much of life is couched in the idea, and it's sold to us, that if you, if you have enough, if you got it all planned out right, 
again, Jesus said, you know, you don't put up a bill. You got you to take a look. You got to count the cost. That's true. But here's the cost. Jesus made it clear. The cost is your life. So anybody's accumulated currency has never spared them any struggles. I, I don't care which, which one you want to put in, time, money, whatever it is. There's no account that's enough to cover the challenges and the pain of life. We all walk by faith. It's always been about faith. Let me come back to that definition a minute ago that, that I submitted to us a minute ago. The, the choice to live in love and forgiveness and trust with God and with one another. Faith is not about how much we have, our currency account, whether it's certainty of the amount of information I know about God. Boy, I thought I'd get through Bible college and I'd have it all stored up in there. I got done, I was like, I don't know much. I have been walking with the Lord for a lot of years, guys, and there's times I look and I go, I don't know much. Dollars. Okay, my, you guys get my point. It's rather in living in love and in trust in our relationship with Jesus Christ, with one another, and with ourselves, if I could put us there too. So here's some good news worth rehearsing. You know, that mustard seed that Jesus refers to of faith? Here's the good news. According to Paul, it's already been planted there. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. That mustard seed is already planted, and to be specific, it's Jesus Christ himself. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So he has withheld nothing. We already have and are enough in him. And, beloved, that's good news. So in the text today, I, I, I want to just take a few minutes to, to make sure to touch on this. You know, the disciples or hearing Jesus go through this discourse with the religious leaders, take up your cross. Uh, guess what? You know, the sick are going to be healed. They're, they're, they see it happening in Jesus' life. The kingdom is going to come to the least. He calls them to repent. He calls them out of the strongholds of the way that they've thought about God and how they've related to him and the strongholds of their thinking. In other words, like, you know, the rich are going to are blessed by God, and, and Jesus is saying, no, actually, it's, it's just, you know, let me turn that on its head. So, their conclusion after hearing Jesus is, and by the way, first four verses of chapter 17 is about forgiveness. They're offended. These are the religious leaders that are acting the way they are. And interestingly, his first response is to talk about forgiveness. And their conclusion is, we don't have enough. We don't have enough to face what you're inviting us to face or to do what you're calling us to do. Jesus, we don't have enough. If you give us a little bit more, we could do the stuff you're telling us to do. That's where the text begins, and that's actually where Jesus' parables begin to make sense if you look through that, that context. Because 
he's inviting the disciples to think about what they were saying, um, but more importantly, about what they're believing as a result. So if I had a little bit more, my life would be different. I could be different. But look at me. It's just me. Jesus, give me more. Jesus, lives to be healed, liberated, fed, restored, comforted, set free. I need a little bit more. I don't have anything compared to the need. Jesus, I need an upgrade. If I had more, it would be different. I was in a different place. It would be different. By the way, theologically, let me put my finger on something right now. The disciples are manifesting something that's not an unusual expression to come out of many evangelicals. When we say, that was Jesus. But I'm me. He was God. Can I just throw a little theological wrench into that wheel for you? That is correct. Paul said he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He actually laid it down and he put on a human form, a human suit, and became found in appearance as a man and became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. Fully human. He's walking in his relationship with his father, and then he says, hey, come follow me. Just do what I have done. His disciples are looking at him saying, no way, I cannot do that in my humanity. Jesus' response to them was, hmm, here's the truth. He tells a little story here. Two things, and I want you to see these two things out of these two stories. One, one he talks about a mustard seed, and then he talks about uh, servanthood. But he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you could look at this big old mulberry tree, and, and it's one of the largest trees in Israel, and be uprooted and planted into the sea. Wow, spectacular. But a little bit illogical and kind of ridiculous. Jesus, why would I want to do that? Who plants a tree in the ocean? It won't live there. Am I right? Right? Now, Jesus isn't, I, I, know, I know that there are times he's like, well, he's speaking in allegories. Correct. In this particular situation, he's putting his finger on something. And it isn't just that the tree can live supernaturally in, in the sea. I believe he's putting his finger on this idea in their mind that's formed in their heart. Watch. I have to have faith that's big and flashy. Why do I think that? Well, you go a few chapters earlier. Remember James and John said, Jesus, we're walking with you, and we're honked off that these people won't let you in the village. How about if you let us do what Elijah did? Let's burn this thing. Let's do something. Let's show them who's boss. Never heard that in Christian circles. Let's show our strength. Am I, am I going too far there? Let's show people what we are. Let's puff up. And Jesus is, is saying, you know, the, this very definition of enough is off base. It isn't about a power display. It's not about puffing up. It's not about looking big in front of other people. 
See, I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You don't need a stage show. It's a, it's a mustard seed. And what's that mustard seed supposed to look like? Well, he talks about a servant. He's not, talking, he's not saying to us, you, you, you measly little servant, you. What he's pointing to is that in the illustration is this, that in that illustration of, of the servant, it's about faithfulness, beloved. Faithfulness to love and forgiveness and trust. You got this mustard seed, and it's not about the measure, but it's about faithfulness. It's not about powering up, but about a simple proclamation. You have enough to forgive. That's what he just got done talking to them about. I don't have enough. Yes, you do. To love, to trust. Faith, beloved, is lived out in the context that we're in not about, not about these challenging circumstances in our lives where we're like, oh, man, if I get enough faith, I'll be able to overcome that big old stronghold. See, there's times we get these, these ideas in our mind, and if we're not careful, they begin to form inside of us, and we didn't even notice it. But it's like, ah, if I get enough, then I'll be able to show Show them who's boss. But see, faith beloved, in the context of Jesus, please follow what I'm trying to say right now, is not about overcoming some external issue that we get to, you eat enough faith and we can change that out there. Faith, the way that Jesus talks about it, is that it changes us. And that's where resurrection power in life is most visible. Right? Amen, amen? Beloved, I, I, uh, Denise and I were sitting together with a couple of dear friends just, just, just in the last couple of days. And, you know, one of them looking and going through a situation that I, I just shake. I, I'm like, and this friend looks at us and said, what would you do? What would you say? And I said, I really don't know. Now, you know, fortunately, I won't say unfortunately, but fortunately for me, this is, you know, I just got done spending time in this text, and what, what, all that I said, and this is what was really fun, because the, the music was really loud. We were at a wedding, and uh, I happened to have a son who was DJing that wedding, and so the music was so loud, Logan, I couldn't hear myself. Anyway, I was trying to pick on my son. We're sitting next to each other, so we're, like, trying to communicate with these friends. And as we got in the car on the drive home, what's fascinating is we wound up saying the exact same thing, which was this. I don't know what I'd say. But here's what I want to say. I'm confident of Christ that's in you, Mark. It wasn't with Mark. I wasn't at the conversation with him, by the way. But my point is that as I looked at my friend, I said, what I'm confident about is not what to say, but I'm confident of Jesus in you. Beloved, the kingdom is birthed in this place. Uh, it, it was St. Therese of Lisieux, France. She died over 100 years ago at the age of 24. She's considered by some church historians as one of the most influential saints of church history. 
uh, right in the category of St. Francis of Assisi. And she became famous for this. Watch this. It's known as the little way. She said it like this. My desire is not to do great things for God, but to do small things with great love. Small deeds with great love that can change the world. Beloved, surrendering to this reality. It's just a mustard seed. That's enough. And it's in you. Christ's in you. Beloved, think about today's text. Jesus' disciples who've been walking with him for three years. They have seen him heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, raise the dead. And what they just said to Jesus is, that's not enough. That's kind of breathtaking. Now, I'm not picking on them because that's actually where I'm at many times. Where Jesus is inviting them towards is this. Walter Ruggerman worded it this way. He is a, an, an Old Testament theologian, but he said it this way. We all have a hunger for certitude, which means certainty. Okay, We all have a hunger for it. I'll have enough. We all have a hunger for certitude, certainty. The problem is the gospel is not about certitude or certainty. It is about fidelity, about faithfulness. So I wonder how many times I've sat and I've wondered, do I have enough? See, I think we all, we all have that question in our walk with Jesus. And we're not that much different than the disciples. If only I had a little bit more Jesus, then, then I, could, I could do something important. I could do something impressive. I'd never struggle with doubt. I'd never struggle with anger. I'd never, I wouldn't be so scarred. I'd finally be appreciated. I'd know that I'm right. It would all begin to make sense. Jesus' invitation to his friends, put it simply right here, live faithfully. It's not about my sense of enough, but surrendering to the reality that faithfulness in love and forgiveness towards God and one another is enough. Faith isn't a guarantee about the future, but it's the position by which it's the place I've chosen to embrace the future. Every little choice that I will choose to surrender to that little mustard seed doesn't look like much. People might be scoffing at it. Jesus said that's the kingdom. This life-giving kingdom that dismantles death, that obliterates all of its effects in our life, that manifests the immortal life of Jesus in our life called the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.10. So how do we get, begin to live pointed in that direction? I want to submit just a couple of things for me that have been very life-giving. One is this. I cannot tell you how, how transformative it has been for me to pray 
regularly the Beatitudes to actually remind myself, blessed are the gentle, the meek, the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To begin to take the proclamations of Jesus seriously in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that when I want to recoil and respond, that Jesus said that I love my enemy and that I pray for them, and that I give and that I pray in agreement, Lord, as it is in heaven, that it would be upon the earth. Let it begin here, that the kingdom is birthed not so much in the powerful things that I can say, look what I've done, but that something has happened inside of me and people can see the, the love of Jesus within me. Faith isn't about the amount of currency that we have, beloved. It's how we live and love and trust with God and with one another. And again, I'll say this. Here's good news worth repeating and rehearsing. That mustard seed has already been planted in you. And he has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. He has withheld nothing. We already have and are enough in him. And that, beloved, is good news. I want to invite us this morning to respond by coming to the table. If you're on the call this morning, we're going to invite you to have, if you have something there to share in communion, uh, that you join us. Would you guys stand with me? We're just going to pray this prayer um, together. Let's pray this prayer, and then we'll come to the table together. If you came prepared to give, we want to say thank you. But let's, let's pray this prayer. God of all the ages. You have revealed your grace in our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we wait patiently on your mercies. Strengthen us to live in your justice, that with open hearts we may hear and accomplish your will through Christ, who lights the way to eternal life. Amen.